What's on the silver screen? I got some takes you wouldn't believe. Hi, welcome. This is Pop Moses Film, and today we're featuring a, a personal favorite of mine, a movie that I love ever since I was a young young kid, and I still love to this day. It's Hook, and I have with me Josiah. Hello, it's Josiah. And uh, yeah, it's it's me as always. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Josiah, go ahead and uh, go over the director tidbits and and whatnot. Sweet. Thank you, Paul. So December 11th, 1991, this film was released with a budget of $70 million. It opened at $13 million, which is not great. Um, and it ended up making $300 million worldwide. And that December, I was realizing even as we watched it, it was a kind of a Christmas movie. It's like one of those Christmas movies that's not really a Christmas movie, but it yeah. kind of indirectly is a Christmas movie, which I totally didn't realize until watching it You know, now as a kid. I, that part I didn't notice. It is directed, of course, by Steven Spielberg, who in retrospect has not really been kind to this movie. It's uh, written by uh, James V. Hart, who wrote Coppola's Dracula around this time, and interestingly to me, Muppet Treasure Island. It's kind of funny. It's like, I guess oh, you wow. become like the, the pirate guy. You're writing pirate movies. Um, and Nick Castle, who Nick Castle is interesting because he directed Last Starfighter. He would go on to direct Dennis the Menace a few years after this. He was Michael Myers. He was the person who played Michael Myers. He wrote um, Escape from New York for John Carpenter. But he was actually one of the writers and originally was going to direct this. So he was attached for quite a long time oh, wow. to d- direct the film. So it kind of shifted gears and ended up uh, in Spielberg's pocket. So I just thought it was interesting, just kind of as a, he ended up keeping that writer credit, but it, the project moved on. The real interesting thing for me, you know, I love to talk about the writing and the writers, was uh, there were two more writers on this project. There's actually m- many more, but James V. Hart was basically the screenplay writer. And Malia Scotch Marmo, right, he or she, I'm not even sure, I'll be honest, was brought in, I think it's a he, was brought in uh, to rewrite mostly Hook. And uh, he wrote uh, Mad Lion a few years later, so kind of in the same wheelhouse, but was specifically brought in to rewrite Hook. And uncredited on this film was Carrie Fisher, who was brought in to rewrite a lot of Tinkerbell's lines. So a lot of the stuff that those two characters say that is their sort of best stuff probably is credited to those two writers. Carrie Fisher got no credit on this movie, although she does make a cameo. I don't know if we'll talk about that later. Um, So those are the writers. It stars Dustin Hoffman, of course, as Hook, Robin Williams as Peter Pan, and Julia Roberts, as we mentioned, as Tinkerbell. So that's uh, pretty much all I have. I uh, just find it interesting that this is one of those movies that – there's a lot going on behind the scenes that I didn't know as a kid that I kind of discovered that we'll kind of maybe pull out once Paul guides us through this process. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm wondering is how was your relationship to the movie when you were a kid and how is it now? And has that changed? Um, I mean, I, this movie. Yeah. I thought it was a lot um, more fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of a depressing movie um <laughs> as you watch it all I, I thought it was a lot more lighthearted um i thought rufio was in it way more than than when i was yes, watching yes. it totally, i thought like totally i thought like i thought rufio was in like three quarters of the film and then now i go back and watch it recently and i'm like oh he's like in maybe 
10, 15 minutes, if that. Like, like in the dinner scene is the longest you see Rufio. Um, I, it, it's, it's a weird movie. Uh, the soundtrack is so on, is like, it's phenomenal. But, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much, I mean. I, I would kind of, I, similar to what Tyler said, uh, as the only parent in this little trio, it's, it's definitely different watching it as a parent. Like I relate to it in a different way. But one thing that, uh, as a kid, I love this movie. My cousins and I, we probably saw VHS, saw it on VHS the following summer after that Christmas release. And we loved it. We played Lost Boys. We had swords that we would pretend to go on adventures. I always had to be Rufio. I thought he was the coolest kid in the world. I have, uh, I had a couple action figures from this movie that came out. They weren't popular, so you could get them at the discount store. Big Lots is still around, <laughs> but at the time, Big Lots was like a junk store. Like it had, the <laughs> floors weren't even properly tiled. It was totally like ghetto store to the extreme. Yeah. And you could buy them at Big Lots really cheaply. So I had like Peter Pan, I had Hook, and I had Rufio. The only toy that I still have to this day as an adult from that, the line from that film is the Rufio figure because I loved it and loved him so much. Now when I watch it, I'm like, I think if you're any age, if you're a day older than the actor that is Rufio, you think this guy is ridiculous looking back <laughs> on it now. So I see more of those things definitely. Um, but I can also grab on to some of that nostalgia that I had and the love that I had, because I truly did love this movie. And this is the first time I've seen it in years and years and years, probably since that era of my life. I might have watched it once yeah. at some point later, but not certainly not the whole thing where I sat and just watched it. Uh, which is it was also way longer than I thought it ever should be. Two hours and like twenty something minutes. That's it was oh, it was yeah, long. Half hours. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it felt it could have been 30, 40 minutes less. And I which surprised me as a kid. I'm like, wow, I, maybe I saw the TV version or something where it was edited down. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I you know, I wasn't it, I wasn't like extreme with ADD, but I definitely did not have that kind of attention span. Um so, but I think watching it again, uh, I still enjoy it and I try to, I, I appreciate it on different levels, but I could see that if I saw this movie purely now as an adult, I would just not care for it. That's kind of the yeah. truth of it. Though. Like, I understand why critics did not like this film. Totally. Um, so when I, when I first saw it, I was a little kid and I just love this movie. And in fact, uh, it's, and I know this is kind of a, I'm in the minority of this, but I think that it's my it's my favorite John Williams soundtrack of all the soundtracks. That's including like Star Wars and Superman and Harry Potter and uh, every single every single soundtrack that or, or com every single movie that he's composed. I would say Hook is probably my favorite soundtrack, and to me, oh wow, uh, has the most memorable uh, tunes. And I, in fact, um, it was actually the first CD that I ever bought. And I know I'm dating myself, but it's the first CD I ever bought, and I bought it at Tower <laughs> Records way back in the day. And I like played the crap out of that CD. Like, like every other day, I would just play the whole soundtrack, and just like uh, it, it was just captivating to me. And I would pretend a lot of times to be Peter Pan, and like I liked how he did that thing where he put his hands uh, on his uh, on his um, thighs, on his, or his on his hips, thighs. hips, hips, on his hips, yeah. He put his hand on his Those hips. are all body parts. Kind of like majestic parts. <laughs> this is not an anatomy time. podcast. <laughs> not an anatomy podcast. Pop Moses <laughs> anatomy. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this this movie's near and dear to my heart. Um, and, uh, you know, I in fact, uh, I bought the Super Nintendo game. And 
it's you know the game itself is not the best game it's like a, a platformer and it's a very like m- mediocre platformer but um yeah this game this movie is like near and dear to my heart um uh, watching it now um i kind of see a lot of the flaws that it has <laughs> i mean it's it's kind of in a way it's kind of a bloated film um and i know steven spiller even admitted that this was probably his least favorite film um of of his old of his old uh, filmography really this one and uh, I what guess, was that? I said, really? This one, I guess, West Side Story hasn't come out yet. Oh, sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so the thing is, is like, uh, well, one thing that he um, he became friends with Robert Williams because of, because of this movie. Yeah. And after Robert Williams passed away, he kind of appreciated this movie a little bit more. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think Robin Williams, like, this was kind of an interesting time in his career because this was like, I think after Good Good Morning Vietnam, where that re- where he really exploded and also Dead Poet Society, and he's really kind of finding his footing as, in terms of a dramatic actor and a comedia, comedic actor. Yeah. And so the thing is about this this movie, what's kind of odd is that when he's Peter Banning, he's kind of a dick, like a, a total dick to his kids, and he's angry a lot. But then he has moments of uh, like pure heart where, he, uh, for instance, when he's at the um, uh, Wendy's uh, banquet, talking about how he's an orphan and he's, uh, you know, saying, oh, we're all orphans. Like that was like a really great yeah. moment. And uh, so he has like little, little parts of him that show that he's Peter, like Peter Pan deep down. But uh, for the first, like third, like well, speaking, the- speaking as a parent and as an asshole, even assholes love their kids. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, you know, it's funny that like, he was just like, I remember, uh, like, his kids were playing, and he just outright, like, has an outburst and, and like, yells at them. And it's, like, even to this day, like, I'm an old man, and it, it's kind of uh, alarming, you know? Yeah. Like, kind of conjure that the sort of that fear you have uh, as a kid when, like, an adult yells at you. And so it kind of took me back to that. I, um, sorry, go I, I'm going through all of his filmography, and, like, I don't understand why Hook, like, Hook is not the greatest film, but when he has done things like 1941 or, um, I mean, hell, like he did, uh, I mean, Empire of the Sun. I'm not a fan of Empire of the Sun, so maybe that's just me. But, I mean, he, he's, he's done some things. That I, I mean, a- yeah. AI, um, <laughs> I, War of the Worlds. I mean, there's a lot of other things to be, you know, more <laughs> upsetting about think- than Hook. I think part of what he's speaking to is the difficulty of making the movie. From mm. what I understand, it was a stressful process. Like mm. he and Julia Roberts hated each other, did not really? get along. They called when they shot with her, they would call it Tinker Hell because, and she was shooting by herself because it was, you know, since she was small, there was then everything was probably blue screen at the time, but now green screen, you know, they would uh, bring her in, composite her into the film. And so it was like her in just, and she was, it was like, for her, she was just coming up in Pretty Woman. She probably got this part right before she blew up and was probably stuck in this role. I'm just guessing. I don't know this for a fact. Yeah. This same year, she would do Flatliner. She was supposed to marry Keith or Sutherland, and that fell apart. And it's funny because I'm not a big fan of celebrity gossip stuff, but when it <laughs> impacts the film, it, it's important. you know. Yeah. And just think about your personal life. It impacts your job. It makes things stressful. Like um, a few years ago, I was uh, – overseeing these writing tutors and my boss had to pull me aside because after my daughter born was born i was just worn out and she was just like 
stop, calm down, you're okay. We're here to help you too. We can see that you're struggling right now. It's a, it's a, it's a new stress. You've not had a kid before. And I, I, when you don't have the collaboration and supporting each other and you have outside stress in your life, it can make things bad. So I think part of what he's looking at is possibly that um, with the process of making it, not just the film itself. Although it is also clearly a flawed film, which we all can admit, like whether or not it's the worst. It's definitely not his worst film. Like I would say 1941 is definitely his worst film of all time. I would probably agree like with you on that. And, um, and and objectively, not yeah. childhood love of this movie, just trying to look at it and from that perspective, because there's some things in this movie that just really work. And even, you know, the things that like Tinkerbell, Julia Roberts, it works. Like I felt like it wasn't perfect, but it works. Everything works. Nothing doesn't work in yeah. the movie. Nothing is so bad that you want to switch it off. Maybe you just want it to be 20 minutes shorter. But I think that might be why. That's just me speculating. But I feel like just being a person and having experienced life in situations like that. There's times where you look back on a time and then you're, and especially when you're an artist like Spielberg, you probably attach whatever going through in that time to that art. And it yeah. becomes kind of mashed together when, especially when it's probably not perfect and he didn't get to do it the way he wanted. Well, cause one thing I read too, that he was like how he over sort of art directed it. He couldn't, necessarily do everything that he wanted so he just thought he'd make up for the flaws in the story with production design and he said well now we would just have the actors on a green screen and we could do whatever we want and i was like well that that's not as good neverland is just so beautiful because it's all real yeah you know it's it's real and it's matte paintings and it's things like that as opposed to just do everything in the computer now which isn't the worst thing but when that's like your solution to saying oh that would make it better it's like uh not really yeah. like that's the same problem so but at the same time i think like paul said his view maybe has softened like being able to look on it in a different way so which i'm glad i'm glad because now he can go back to say <laughs> looking at 1941 and be like yep that's my worst film <laughs> but i also know that i think for i've also read things that the kids were really hard for him too like the kids were just really difficult on this film. Like for whatever reason, he just cast the most challenging little kids in the world. So I mean, the kids yeah, though. I, I never blame the kids. I'm sorry. Like you're <laughs> you're about to, you're about to do so much for these like to these kids. Like you know, mentally after this film you know is released, let them be kids for now because that's gonna be taken. Like that's how I always see it. Like whenever I see child actors, like I'm just like. And if they're difficult to work on film because they're having fun or something like that, like let them be kids because you're about to take everything away from them. But there's fun and there's, are they being bad? I don't know. You know what I mean? That's I true. have no idea. Oh, that's true. I, that's, Absolutely. Like, are they tearing down parts of the set? Like there's a line that I don't know. Having children, there's times yeah. where it's like, oh, you're just, okay, I'll let you play with your toys instead. Like with, with Penny, my daughter, it's like, okay, it's time to learn, but you can play with your toys right now and learn later as opposed <laughs> to like, when she starts to like throw things across the room to yeah. like, you know, hit her baby sister. <laughs> Oof, yeah. And that line is crossed, but not knowing, not knowing. So, yeah, but absolutely. again, I think it's many, many, many things on top of each other that clouds his view. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I read something about how he was worried about being an absentee father. And this was his movie and kind of response to that because he had worked so hard in all these movies and he was worried about being an absentee father. And uh, so I think it's interesting that he put you know a bit of his own personal life into this into the story, um, and I mean the the one thing that I really 
uh, always kind of gravitated towards uh, this movie is that the whole concept of like not wanting to grow up. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm, I'm something. It's something that um, I guess maybe our generation uh, can be blame for that we like kind of hold on to things that uh you know wasn't near and dear to our heart when we were younger and um i remember seeing this uh when i was a kid i was looking at peter banning and i was seeing like how like depressing he was and how like angry and how flawed he was and i always thought to myself like i don't want to grow up that way like i don't want to become that way yeah um and you know in a way kind of like idolizes youth and the innocence of youth um and then now when I look at it, I, I realize, like, no matter what you do in your life, it's like life is just rough and you got to do what the best you can. And so I kind of like kind of give uh, Peter Banning more of a more of a pass. Yeah. Knowing being as an adult and, and knowing what it's like to just be an adult every day, just like dealing with like all this crazy stuff. And um, so, I mean, has your has your guys's opinion has your guys' opinion of, of Peter Banning changed at all at growing up? Or I, when I was a kid, I understood him honestly. Like you know, I think it was also because I grew up with my family. My parents were always working, and I didn't get to see my dad a lot at all. Like we had, you know, we had to have a um, you know like a nanny all the time. It's pretty much how I grew up. Uh, who was based, who worked full time? So with us, and so I only saw my parents in the morning and then late at night before I go to sleep. So, uh, I guess I understood it because of like how busy he was and everything. And like, it didn't really bother me. So, um, yeah, I I thought maybe he was a little harsh, but like, I, I didn't think he was like all that bad and all that terrible, but I definitely, but also when you're comparing him to Peter Pan, I always saw him. I was like, well, Peter got old and grumpy. And that's all I noticed when I was a kid. Where, Where now I'm just like, he went through some tough shit. <laughs> so, I mean, a, a little bit, a little bit for me. I understand I it. I understand it more, but my, like, my understanding has changed, but my view of it hasn't changed. I don't think I cared enough. I mean, not that I didn't care, but I didn't, like, I guess just as a kid watching the movie and, and watching it as an adult, it's it's a kid's movie that deals with the the, the adult's view of, growing up and, and what that looks like and trying to achieve that balance and being a responsible parent to my kids while enjoying life in a way that I am just still me and, and your identity as a parent versus your identity as an individual. And that's, it, it's a definitely a dynamic that I see now, but as a kid, I just thought he's Peter Pan. He's going to be Peter Pan again. It, it's just how long it takes. And, and it's funny watching it as an adult. It's like, it takes a while. <laughs> It's a long time in that movie before he is <laughs> Peter Pan again. Oh, but, yeah. An hour and a half or something. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, that's why they called it Hook, because they couldn't call it Peter Pan. Um, Not because of rights or anything, because it's he's not Peter Pan for most of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but I see, I think watching it Which as I, I a always, kid, I always remembered that, though. Like, uh, like Peter Pan not coming in until, like, the very, very, very end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. No, exactly. But uh, I'm just saying, like, I, I, but somehow for me, like, I guess maybe it's there's there's moments all throughout, like, even when he's harsh to his kids, you can tell he loves his kids. Like, yeah. he's upset when he misses the baseball game. Yeah. He, 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 it's that clear thing where I, you know, I've been there. 
um, particularly when I was talking about that time when my boss spoke to me, it's funny, I did not think this would come up. I was, I was working and I was also teaching at night, right? And I had a new daughter, so I would work all day. I wouldn't even go home. I would leave straight to go to my teaching. And I would teach at night. And it wasn't every day of the week. It was maybe one or two nights a week. But this is like right when, when Penny was born. So that's yeah. just super exhausting as it is, plus the, the, the stress of work. And so I, I can get it because you're so, you're just so fried from those things and you're doing it because of the kids, because of the kids, you want to care for them. You want to provide for them and you get caught up in that. And I think that's what his character was. So I could, I saw that as a kid, but didn't care because I kind of got it that why he does that is for the kids. And, and also I would just, there was enough of that. They, they, you know, they gave you those breadcrumbs that of him being him. And and it's 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 just also Robin Williams that even though I don't know if he's perfect casting, there's just a, there's a, there's a twinkle in his eye that is always there no matter what. I think Robin even at his I think Robin worst. Williams is perfectly casted in every movie he's been in. <laughs> I think that man is so versatile. I think he was so versatile. He was so like him and Patton Oswalt. I think are both like insanely talented. That I I I would be fine. Like yeah, like those two and Tilda Swinton. Any role, cast them. And Octavia Spencer, uh, those four. That's my. You know, I have to say, and this is kind of a weird, uh, this is kind of a weird thing to say, but, uh, and I'm going to kind of contradict myself, but I think he was perfectly cast as the Peter Pan part of Peter Banning, like the playful, like energetic spirit that, like, you know, kind of like this manic energy. Yeah. But not so much as Peter Banning. Um, I think. So I know it's like there's the same character, but. Um, a lot of times I didn't like buy his grumpiness or his anger. And it's like, I don't know. You always see Robin Williams as a certain way. And so when he was acting that way, it was kind of uh, disarming and, and it, it was kind of shocking, I guess. What was it? That same year he did Aladdin in 91. I think Aladdin was 91 or 92. Uh, right around the same. Yeah. Very. Yeah. I yeah. think it was, I'm I'm thinking 92, but but there was like a certain persona that Robin Williams had, you know, the first part of Hook, it kind of is a very different side of Robin Williams, which you kind of don't see in his other parts later on, maybe till later when he's more, you know, he plays more disturbing characters like one hour photo. <laughs> um, but I, I find that I found that kind of, kind of strange that like that, that on one part he sold me and the other part he didn't, but they're the same character and just how like different that, that one character is. Yeah. Um. So, and so, um. This I want to segue to another another amazing actor and actually another amazing character. And I think honestly, one of my favorite villains of all time is Cap- Captain Hook himself, uh, played by Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Um. I particularly love this villain. Uh, I love how he chooses scenery and everything that he's in. Um. I love how him and Bob Hoskins as Smee they kind of play like an elderly gay couple. They did play like an. They actually played it that way. They oh, they, really? they they specifically played it that way, and Spielberg kind of had to reel him in a little bit because he's like, it is a kids' movie, <laughs> but <laughs> they really legitimately that's how they played it, and it <laughs> it works. <laughs> and it's funny when I'm a kid, I was like, oh man, these these guys are best friends. It's, well, uh, as, I, it's you know, I, being being married, I, I saw like, yeah, that's more like the relationship I have with my wife than it is with you know one of you guys, <laughs> my buddies. <laughs> but yeah, I love that chemistry uh, with the both of them. And I, there's a particular part where um, Smee he takes his earwax 
and he like forms it into a ball and like uses it to wax uh, uh, hooks the mustache. Like there's this little like nuances to the performance that are like really play well off each other. Um, and I, I just love Dustin Hoffman as Cap- Captain Hook. And to this day, it's like probably one of the most iconic, uh, you know, villain portrayals that in a movie. Yeah, I abs- I agree. I absolutely love um, Dustin Hoffman's performance in this. And this is my favorite Hook, uh, Captain Hook, ever in any in any capacity, in any medium. Um, I, I love him. I think he is so good. I think Bob Hoskins was, was amazing as me as well. And like, uh, again, like, yeah, the same thing. Like I thought it all worked. I thought it was hilarious. The, the bickering and everything and like the, the, like the clock room. I still love that scene. Like there's there, like, again, I'm not the biggest fan of this film, but there are things in this film that I love so much. And it's anything that has to do with hook. He is so conniving and so evil. And then also he's so, um, he's so weak and, and he's so, it's just, Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no. I'm saying I'm saying he's conniving and evil, and then he can be so weak and and spastic as well. And it's which 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 is kind of what I was going to interrupt you there to say was that's what makes it funny. You yeah. know what I mean? Because he's like so trying to be so diabolical, but is so insecure. Yeah. That you know that like <laughs> in the, the moment very 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 late in the movie when he's fighting Peter and his wig comes off. And then like, he gets it back on, and just the the look that Dustin Hoff—it's so great. Like it's just that that's and distills everything that's great about that character right there for me. It's it's because it's funny and really like watching the the stuff like back now as an adult. The stuff with the kids just doesn't land for me like it did. That was what yeah. the movie was all about as a kid. So this is the stuff that does land. This is the stuff where it gets a little bit more adult in the subtle ways that I didn't pick up as a kid. So that's where more of the joy comes. So while we're talking about the, the, the casting of hook, which is being perfect when it was going to be a musical, there was some other alternate casting choices, including as hook David Bowie. So David Bowie oh, yeah. could have been hook if it would have been a musical because yeah, this was right around when, you know, they were developing yeah. it uh, during labyrinth. So he, you could have been the goblin King. It could have been, if this were a musical version of hook would have been, and, and I, it's funny because like as perfect he is like okay if it is a musical I like that option but for this version he is perfect so yeah so actually going off of that I'm going to give you an interesting uh, Michael Jackson tidbit so uh, he was Michael Jackson was really interested in playing Peter Pan while they were in pre-production and Steven Spielberg uh, you know he said well this is not really Peter Pan it's like you're, he's, you know it's Peter Pan growing up and uh, so Michael Jackson realized like he wasn't the right right for the part and Spielberg, you know, agree that he's not the right, right for the part. And so Michael Jackson, like he hired a witch doctor to put a curse on Spielberg because he was like denied this part of Peter Pan. So I thought that was really uh, pretty crazy stuff. That man is insane or was insane. I, I've never been a fan of Michael Jackson really. So whenever um, I hear so any... question though, was he, was he trying to like, curse him for not getting for for not getting the part because it was um from what my understanding was that was michael jackson was attached in like the earlier 80s and then this the pro like this this movie when spielberg first kind of it it just festered very early on that's when michael jackson was attached and then throughout the throughout the 80s it went to different places nick castle who was brought in was going to direct it it kind of went back to spielberg so it took almost 10 years for this to get made so was it in, was it anger that he didn't get it, or was it to not get the part because he didn't want to be a grown-up Peter Pan? 
I think it's just, I think originally it started off as like a live action Peter Pan, just like a live action retelling of the Peter Pan story. Um, and then it kind of evolved into Peter Pan growing up. And just, I think because of that, the whole like, that evolved into Peter Pan growing up, that really didn't fit with Michael Jackson. Because Michael Jackson always like, uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's been widely publicized, like he loves kids and yeah. he's really, um, he, he gravitates towards like Neverland and like the Peter Pan, like not growing up, you know, aspect of it. And so the fact that it's like, kind of contradicts what, uh, you know, what, what he would, you know, what I'm trying to say. So yeah. getting a little, a little dark, have either of you seen, um, Finding Neverland, the, not Finding Neverland, um, Leaving Neverland, the documentary about the child molestation accusations against Michael Jackson. I'll use the word accusations for legal purposes. Um, have you seen the documentary? No, uh, I, um, I, I, just, I, I honestly just don't. Like I no, I, you don't need to watch it. I'll, um, I'll, I'll say I have a good feeling as to what happened, and I have word <laughs> from people that I know that I trust. So it's like I don't want to visit. I, I I don't I don't like watching a lot of those documentaries, like Making a Murderer. I'm not equating those two at all, but I'm just saying like if I already know what happened, I'm good. I don't need to. <laughs> like <laughs> but, I, I don't want to know all the horrible details and stuff. <laughs> yeah, there was a a horrible detail where like there was the the Disney animated Peter Pan cut out when one of the alleged victims said that he was being abused that was in Michael Jackson's bedroom. So that 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 was obviously he named it Leverland Ranch. I, I it's I it's 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 just heavy and dark and I, I didn't intend to go there, but at the same time, oh, I think it's whether you think he abused children or not. The obsession Michael had with Peter Pan was real, clearly, and it's so. Yeah. I, I just interesting and I very believable that he would go to then blanks to then give Steven Spielberg a curse for whatever reason. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. Wow. No, that's pretty dark. I didn't expect. <laughs> I'll say this weirdly. I, I decided to watch it as a parent. I don't know why I felt like this obligation. And because that's like one of my greatest fears as a parent that would learn that that would happen to my kids through their lives. And that's why I felt I wanted to watch it because I take no pleasure in learning anything like that or yeah. even hearing anything like that. But at the same time, I feel like, okay, I need to be aware of it as a parent and some on some level and th that's why so um, back on the fun stuff okay. <laughs> yeah we went to some crazy paths there but, um, so yeah the, the thing i really love about hook is that he devises a plan to he, he kind of resigns to his fate he, he knows that peter banning is going to become peter pan at some point and he really and it feels like oh my god i'm gonna lose you know no matter, no matter what i do he's gonna become peter pan and that's you know, the, the, the Lost Boys are going to train him and he's going to come here and take his kids. And he devises a plan with me to teach his kids to, like, love him instead of their own father. Yeah. And I love that he puts he takes the vulnerabilities of, like, Jack's, um, uh, you know, insecurities and, like, his, his, his father issues and kind of plays upon that and becomes a father in the ways that that. Peter hasn't, you know, by, by like playing this whole, not only showing up to the baseball game, but putting on this whole baseball game for him yeah. and having all the pirates be there to watch and, and, and play with him. And I love particularly, there's a scene 
where um, somebody in the crowd says, "Hey, he's stealing! Uh, he's stealing the base!" And a pirate comes out and he like shoots the pirate, and they're like, "No, bad form, bad form." So it's like it's like pirates would interpret baseball in like that kind of way, yeah. You know, and I, I love that little. It's like a little character moment showing how like the pirates are. Uh, but I really love that part of of Hook in that he is seeking to cr- kind of like corrupt his kids in a way and uh, like steal that victory from Peter Pan. And I think that's a great bill of this moment. I I I um I actually really like the um the whole re- not relationship but the whole time that Hook actually had Peter Pan's son because like. Even when even when I was a kid, I loved it because that's like the ultimate revenge to have on Peter Pan is to not only take away your child, but also to have them want to stay and have them um, want to have a a guardian like Hook, your main villain, um, you know, instead like. You know, Neverland. They they fought for years and years and years and years, and Hook lost his hand. So he, so his response to that is, "I'm taking your son." And not only not only am I taking your son, I he is choosing me over you. And I'm like, and and I just think that it's like the whole thing is interesting because he's not like honestly like creepy about it. He's just more like, "Hey, your dad's an asshole," and the kid's like, "Yeah, he is." And he's just like, "Okay, well, if you want a family, here's a family." Like it's it's a little creepy, but like I'm I'm saying like in a lot of other movies and documentaries of stuff that we've heard about children, there's a lot of other creepier things that can happen with somebody trying to manipulate you know a kid to join them. Where Hook is more just like, hey, why don't you live here forever and be a pirate? It is more about that and seeing all the pirates as family as opposed to being like really like scary and creepy. So yeah, like Hook's point, it's not this nefarious. I'm going to abuse you in yeah. any way. It's just I'm gonna. I'm going to abuse your father by taking you and making you want me more. I'll say this because, like, it's interesting that you say that as a, as a, as a father. Like, you want your kids it, – it can be draining because they need you all the time. They always – you know, the baby's crying. My daughter, who is three, she'll wake up in the middle of the night, and she, like, she'll, she'll see me. She'll literally just turn around go back into her bedroom because I'm supposed to come in and lay down yeah. with her. And, like, she knows that I know that. and But it's – and you're just exhausted, but at the same time, it makes you feel good because you're needed by that person. Like no one else has ever needed you in your life. It's it's just it's it's a beautiful thing as a parent. But at the same time, there's moments when of relief when your kid might gravitate towards someone else. Like for example, when my in-laws will give my daughter a bath, right? I don't have to give her a bath. Great. <laughs> but then it's really sweet when she's like, No, I want you to do it, Dad. I'm like, okay. But then if they never picked you, you would be devastated. Like um, the other day, my <laughs> daughter was talking about um, her aunt, right? Um, and my, my wife is Vietnamese, so it's Mac Tao, which is just how you say aunt Tao. And Mac means older sister, so Mac Tao. She's like, it's basically telling my wife, my daughter's mother, that she loves Mac Tao more than she loves her mom. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know just in a kid it's just because like oh she you know she gives her candy she plays with her because we have to be parents but that kid perspective how a kid even an older kid than my daughter who's three can be manipulated into that mind space where then 
oh no, as a parent, you're like, oh no, I, I lost. How do I get my kid back? Yeah. And that's what and that's what it is. What's really cool for me watching this now is where Peter's motivation to be Peter Pan, and he realizes, oh, to get my kids back, to earn their love as it should be, I can't just be this way. Even though I was doing it thinking it was for them, it wasn't the right thing. It is actually a balance of being this joyful person who is Peter Pan and yeah. Peter Panning? Banning. 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 <laughs> I don't even know his weird fake name. I don't but that part uh, really, you know, it's, it's funny how it resonates very differently to me as a parent. I just, I didn't expect it because I'm like, oh, I'll watch Hook and it'll be about pirates and adventure. And I'm like, oh, emotions too. Damn it. So. <laughs> and that's the thing with a, this movie. It has like a lot of great, interesting ideas that I think work in the 90s, but I think would kind of not work nowadays, um, especially something like that. And uh, one thing that kind of stood out is, like, with The Lost Boys, a lot of the, the humor was, like, kind of gross-out humor. Yeah. Like, yeah. fight. And, you know, a lot of, like, humor that's very, like, buried in the 90s that really wouldn't work now. Um, I'm sorry. I, I still love the, the dinner scene. I actually do like that scene. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that scene, too. And I kind of wonder if, like, how do these kids survive? Like, if all their food is imaginary, like, how, how is Well, they're in Neverland. It, it's all magic. They don't, remember, they don't age, they don't have to eat. They, they yeah, do nothing, time doesn't really move there. It's just, yeah. it's always now. But they sleep for some reason. So that doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> it's, it's that, but that's the thing, the logic in Neverland, it's, there's none. There, yeah. There isn't, because it's, that's just the way it is. Yeah, you can't you never have the, logic. Because you never that's have to you, think about it. Just kidding. That's why you can't be an adult in, 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 in Neverland. And I think part of the idea is even the pirates haven't really grown up, because they're not truly adults, they're being pirates still. So even though they're physically adults, they're, they're not like normal adults. They're still yeah. living in a fantasy. Yeah, they're still living in a fantasy, exactly. And uh, so it's interesting you bring up the dining room or the the um, food fight, um, because during that scene, there's a there's a scene there's a part where Rufio and Peter Banning they go back and forth and insult each other. Yeah. And then midway through, uh, you know, Peter Banning sort of gets the upper hand on Rufio, and so all the Lost Boys kind of rally towards Peter Banning, and so you see sort of the transformation of Peter Banning into Peter Pan at yeah. that moment. Um, and then, uh, you know, Rufio's like kind of jealous. So he throws a coconut and then Peter Pan, like, you know, he slices it in half and the coconuts are spinning on the table. And so it's a great moment. I, um, Oh, I'm sorry. Can I, can I go off on that? Because it's right after that. Like I always tear up and get choked up every single time the kid go uh, messing with his face and goes, there you are, Peter. I always get like, Oh, I think it's actually always tear up. I think that moment's before that. Though, oh, it right, is? If I recall. Because I, I think that's when Peter first shows up in Neverland and, like, they're trying to train him to jump, isn't it? I thought. Oh, it's like, yeah, right when he right when he shows up in Neverland and uh, Peter Bannon's like, you know, help me save my kids. You know, Captain Hook has them. No, it's at, and, I thought it was at nighttime. Well, the, the dining room scene, that's at nighttime. Yeah. But the scene you're talking about where the little kids like kind of messing with the no, it's before that cuz um the the just in my notes i know that um oh man the the dinner scene is the i wrote i wrote a note about the food fight of like 
several lines down in this and I and I put an asterisk next to because it was one that I want to mention. But when the little boy feels his face, he's like, There you are, Peter. Yeah. And like so like as a kid it got me, it gets me still it that still moment gets is me. That kid worth is it so, for that moment alone. That, that so kid, brilliant. That kid's delivery is so good. I feel like if the movie had more moments like that where you're just kinda like look deep into yourself or you know, you and you'll find the kid in you again. Like the movie would have been so much better. Sorry, I I I, 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 I literally I literally thought I can't I don't know why I just watched it yesterday. I don't know why I couldn't remember. You know, I I agree with you. So actually, what I was gonna my I was gonna get to my point. My point is that I wish there were more moments like that to kind of gradually build Peter Banning into Peter Pan. Yeah, like that transformation at the dinner room, the, the totally. dining scene is like so abrupt. Yeah. Where, Everything before he's like training and he's like still Peter Banning, and then all of a sudden he's Peter Pan, and it kind of takes, kind of kind of takes you out of the movie because it's like not gradual. And if they had more moments like that where he's you know feeling his face and like oh there you well, are Peter, I, I liked it when he sliced it, it and then everybody's looked at it because it took imagination for it took him to finally have to use his ma- imagination. It, it was like the first time he uses his imagination since he was a kid. Is essentially what it was showing when he cuts the yeah. the coconut because he couldn't see the coconut or anything right. It was just it, everything was just invisible. Oh, no, the coconut was there. The coconut was there. So he could only see the coconut. No, he yeah he could see the the coconut actually was there and it oh. was real the coconut. So the it's the just, rest of stuff he couldn't food. see. Yeah, the rest Got of the, he couldn't see the food, and then uh, I think a little or, bit. Or he could see none of it. Whatever. Yeah, but either way, <laughs> like, or all of it. <laughs> see, I, I guess how I interpreted it when when I was a kid and when I, and when I just watched it yesterday. Was that he didn't see anything, and then he saw some, and like you know, the kid act like they were throwing it at him, and he was just he brought out his sword, and then the coconut explodes, and then he's able to see everything, and he's just like, oh, and it was like that one moment where he just kind of like uses where he finally uses imagination, and he saw the coconut, and he saw everything. I thought he, but before that, he uh, he took a spoonful of you know pudding or whatever. Like uh, at pretend, and then he threw it at Rufio, and then he saw, and yeah. then he saw the pudding. Oh, that's right. When he see, then that makes that, no sense. It should have. Yeah. It no, should have been like, the. Like, it should have been the coconut. Like no, I like sh- that though. When he when he flings the fruit, it's almost like it's it's like I think what Paul is saying is something I had yeah. throughout my notes too. Where I wish there were those you know the the storytelling perspective right there there needed to be little nuggets of things that slowly Peter becomes peter pan again right yeah. little nuggets here and there there's the kid touching his face and there is i don't remember when it happens the moment where he goes into like the original house the lost boys all lived in and stuff and like the tree or whatever and that's a nice moment and like some tinkerbell conversations but like that's it there wasn't really much it needed to yeah. be like more things like that but that moment when he flings the food is is one of them for me is much where he's like almost like just Going into the joy of the silliness of it, because that's after they argued, right? The name yeah. calling thing. And so yeah. then he he kind of – and that loosens him up, and then he flings it, and he's like – for that split second, he believes. And then he – oh, he does believe. And yeah. then he mm-hmm. is able to engage in that moment because he let go of uh, Peter Banning. Yeah. And so – but I wish, though, there were more little bits and tidbits throughout the whole – first half however the movie to get to there there just wasn't enough of them beforehand because then it's feels like because 
Because really, truly, the only segment is the one that comes uh, when he's feeling the face before that. Other than that, it's really maybe down to performance, but there's not yeah. much to sort of lay the groundwork for him becoming Peter. God, that's so annoying. I, I forgot about the him flicking. Ah, there's so many. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, like. Well, like, it's funny though, because like I wouldn't remember. The only reason I know the order is because it's in my notes, and it's funny that you guys are talking about the specific things that are in my notes. So it's kind of cool that whether we're remembering <laughs> it in sequence, it's yeah. the same things that we connect with, and what and, and what works about this movie is clearly the same thing that we all kind of see. Yeah, <laughs> we all see so, it, right? <laughs> you guys can see it. And, and the funny thing is, uh, what kind of. I don't know. It's kind of irritated me about the editing editing of the movie is that right after that they like they go uh, Peter and some of the Lost Boys they go off and watch the baseball game with Jack, um, and then you know, Peter goes back to you know he's like uh, he's upset that 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 Jack is like sees uh, Hook as as a father, and so he look, looks in like uh, he looks in the pool and sees a reflection of his younger self, and then he gets hit with a baseball, uh, which. And then he goes into um, the the treehouse that he yeah. was burned up by Hook, and then it triggers all the memories of him as Peter Pan and like um, his backstory is like a little kid that that ran away from home, tried to come back home, and then you know there's another kid that replaced him and like, like this tragic backstory. And I kind of wish that whole element, that whole tragic backstory in the um, uh, in that treehouse happened right after that dining room scene. Because you have like, it's escalating like, hey, he's becoming more Peter Pan, and then you have that epiphany, where there's a full transformation of him into Peter Pan. Yeah. And I feel like that pirate scene, that like undercover pirate scene with the Lost Boys, kind of like ruined it. Takes away from that momentum. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And that's an example of that's an example of a scene that doesn't necessarily even need to be in the movie. Yeah. Like, I, I I agree. Really, I I, if you... I think would have been a lot better in a shock if. He were to, when he were to go to the pirate ship and see his son dressed up as Hook would be a way more of a shock than seeing like that like that progress kind of like takes away the shock at the end. Like you can still yeah you could still have the baseball sequence as a baseball sequence but not like Peter going to it. Yeah, because like I think it takes away from then the climax when Peter finally shows up for yeah, real. Yeah, because it, it's a moment that is a growing moment for his son. So like. And like not having him there would also show the opposite of what's happening is the growth of uh, the growth like like you know Peter Banning becoming young again where his son is becoming older and totally you yeah. know and 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 having like that like even like it would have been actually kind of cool had it not really been a baseball game but or like or maybe you know maybe I'm wrong but I was thinking like Hook Hook could give him more adult activities to do and like like what i was saying is in, see, in seeing like like that the opposite that thing is happening like having him like be part of a crew and like and like working and having a job or something like that and then and then it's you know like as like the father's becoming younger he's becoming older and like at the end it's just kind of like having that battle but i guess the baseball scene makes sense because he misses baseball game i guess <laughs> no i felt like the baseball stuff was all there sort of to like create something that they could sort of almost shoehorn thematically yeah because watching the movie i felt like the movie could have started on the airplane ride because to me the movie really starts uh there and then when they get to to london yeah. you don't really need 
that stuff. You get that he's not, he's kind of an absentee father. You don't need to see the baseball game sequence and you don't need to see, you don't need to see him in an elevator with other corporate Raider people. You don't need to see that stuff. No, not at all. Once they're on the plane. And and then once, especially because the movie's really not interesting until they get to London. And yeah, and the dialogue tells you, and it doesn't seem, you know, it's good dialogue. Everything's, it feels natural. It's, it's, there's some exposition in there, but not in a forced way to me. I thought that's one of the things that worked about the movie. It sets it up well. You just, and that's right there. You save 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I felt like Spielberg wanted the baseball thing. I I would have, they probably could have done the montage, like they could have probably could have taken the credits and done a montage of the baseball scene over the credits. To where the action movie starts with the air, you know the airplane ride. Yeah, and like it basically just yeah over like you know maybe a like you know three five minute sequence of credits to get them on that plane and yeah I would, to me because that's where the movie started. I actually think the movie should start with the play still and him just not there and then them talk and like him coming home before they go into a flight. Like let's just say like he comes he comes home. And then, like, the wife's like, we're going to London tomorrow, and you also missed your daughter's play. And he's just like, yeah, I was busy. And then they go, and then they go to bed. And then they wake up, and then, and then, and then it's, then it's like, I don't know, like, like the chime on a, in an airplane. And then it just, the camera opens up, and they're on the plane. And that's it. Like, it, it, it just shows his disregard. He missed the thing, and, you know, they're going, and they're going to London. Boom, there. That's all the transition you get. And then, and that's and you understand it. And then it's him and Jack arguing, and then Jack being like, you know, you don't go to my baseball games. And he's just like, yeah, because I'm putting meat on because I'm putting food on the table. Shut the fuck up, kid. Um, you know, actually, but, I, actually, but I think they just wanted so badly. Sorry to interrupt, Paul. I think they wanted so badly that, that what was the line like hit a home run, Jack, or something like that. They just like wanted run, run so, home, run home, run, Jack. run home, Jack. They run wanted home, that so Jack. badly that they like we gotta get the baseball stuff in there. And even though it's kind of sort of a little bit funny and sad when the you know he the guy from work shows up with like the 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 big old '80s camcorder to record his son playing the yeah. show to that. I like, but go ahead, Paul. Oh, so. I kind of think I kind of like the fact that he shows up at his daughter's play, but doesn't show up at the baseball game because it makes it more of an insult for Jack that he's there for well, his and, sister. And that plays and in the movie. Him. I think he even says that because it doesn't even hook say that to him when he gives him the yeah yeah hooks like he goes yeah. to yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 hook plays that first, angle because the first hook to, also we we didn't mention hook tries to get both of the kids because they're both captured yeah and they're both in his little classroom and the the daughter is just too tough and just basically just takes her away because he knows okay i can work my way on jack but yeah. i don't and i don't remember the daughter's uh, the character's name but he couldn't I don't like, like okay you're you're too tough for me <laughs> but i think that works so well because it shows that you know peter banning is trying the hardest he can to be a parent and in some ways he's succeeding and in other ways he's not and so in a way that by failing one kid, or by 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 succeeding in one kid, it almost makes the other kid kind of like the the failure hurt more, you know. And I, I like that nuance to that relationship in the in the family. Yeah, I, that's true. I mean, I, I, and that's and that's great. But the movie, you don't need it for the movie. You still get there's that dynamic in the relationship. You could just have Hook saying it. You don't necessarily need to see it. And I'm just again because my main thing is the movie was just too long, <laughs> and you got to make yeah. hard decisions somewhere, like. That's the thing where there's got to be hard decisions to make. Like this is a kids movie that's two hours and twenty minutes long. It's somewhere you gotta say, okay, we gotta be tougher about these cuts. Yeah. yeah. Someone's I mean, gotta I go. think that you know 
I think this movie would be a lot stronger if he took out maybe half an hour, 45 minutes. I think it would have been a much stronger movie. See, maybe I was uh, just a weird kid. I liked I liked the movies longer than than if they're shorter because that meant more TV time and less nap time or or chores time. Like, yeah, I, I don't know why I loved longer movies. I mean, I think fixing the beginning to making it more, you know, of a better story and storytelling, and the you know throughout the movie would have been a lot better for me both as a kid and i guess the, the length for me the, the length for me as a kid was an issue is i just wanted them to get to neverland yeah that especially as a kid and, and that's, that's what, what i was I saying and like honestly that's I, what I, wanted. I, I should have said this earlier but I, I also remember when i was a kid and i and i got the same feeling again too when hook when they're kid when he's kidnapping the kids and you don't see anything and then like they're at the charity event and everything's shaking and getting dark and stuff like that and then they come home and uh you know, Moira's hurt, and uh, and then uh, Toodles, you know, and Toodles is, like, freaking out. That scared me as, a, like, a motherfucker when I was a kid. And no, even now watching scared. it again, I still, my I, my blood pressure still rose. And I still like, was getting, like, flashbacks when I was a kid, like, being terrified of what's happening. Because, like, the music, the like, it just going in and out, like, like, uh, like uh, the dark, when it would get dark and light, dark and, like, it, I will say that. it That was awesome. It was so well done. I loved it. As a- yeah, as a kid, it scared me, and it scares me as an adult and a parent now, <laughs> probably more. Yeah. Because, you know, that fear when you go out and you leave your kids, something happens. I should have been there. Even when something stupid happens, like you walk out of the room and the baby rolls and starts to cry, and you come back in, you're like, and I'm like, Judy, what happened? Like, just an instinct, somehow it's her fault. The same thing would have happened if I was in the room, yeah. but that natural feeling, like, I could have prevented this. So that feeling as a parent struck me. So yeah, that I, terrifying, as a kid, terrifying as an adult, definitely, <laughs> definitely works. Well, you I don't just see them get, yeah. it, takes, it, it takes 35 minutes to get to Neverland. 35 minutes to get to Neverland. That's so that's kind long. of where, as, as both an adult uh, watching it and as a kid, but particularly as a kid, because I just wanted to be there. I wanted yeah. to be in that world. That's well, and 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 watching it now, I just wanted to see Dustin Hoffman just fucking kill it for the rest of the film. (laughs) I think the thing is that was like watching it again. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say what what my thought was watching it again. What might have helped is maybe give us Neverland before they go to Neverland by bringing Hook in the movie before the kidnapping in some capacity. Well, so you could cut back and forth. I mean, I don't want to add time to the movie. But just something that I don't know, because like it's called Hook, and <laughs> he doesn't show up till late anyway. It's just something to. I mean, honestly, it would have been really cool had um, if they did like where it started off with the play, and like either Peter goes or does not go, or like if if Peter's in the audience and you just kind of see like him have like him kind of like get like a vision not a vision but like him like remember hook and he just kind of like gets like affected by it and then as the play is going on and the wife's just like what happened he goes i don't know but, like he kind of like sees hook in his head for a split second like that would have been awesome and like also major build up too as well and then like or even um and like him seeing uh Wendy's is like home like his home and like hearing in the background, like Hook's laugh or something like that, like a lot of cool things they could have done. Yeah, some things like yeah, little things like yeah, exactly. To me, not necessarily net, things to tease the what's going on, and especially because the movie, the, the within the logic of the movie, this is 
this world exists. At least, even if it only exists in Peter's head, it really exists in Peter's head. Yeah. So it, you can have that be, and then or that other idea is if you have those moments, makes you then question: Does it only exist in Peter's head even more? Yeah. So also, or having like how awesome would it have been too? Like you know how the um the window sill or the the window hook looks like Captain Hook's hook, having him like see it and like really freak out. Or, like, when he's locking it up, like, kind of, like, holding onto it, and then, like, just going back to him, and he just looks totally concerned as he walks out. Yeah, because, like, and for example, like, they, shit like, like yeah, because yeah. they, they say it's been, like, ten years since he's been back to London. Maybe have it be part of it. It's traumatic memories. Yeah. It's, it's, tra- it's the, the, that stuff scared him, and part of why he left wasn't just that he fell in love with the, with the girl when he saw Wendy's granddaughter or whatever, that he there's a level of fear yeah and going back there i mean hooks always carry but yeah mm-hmm. paul what were you gonna say oh uh you know i kind of i agree with you tyler i think they should have he should have had a moment where he signed a hook and he like he's like kind of stressed out or like you know and he doesn't understand why yeah you know he's like oh man like he's like disturbed in, in a way like little character moments like that um and i think the whole i think what they were trying to do is they were trying to spend as much time in the real world so that when you go to Neverland, it's like a big payoff by how yeah. ma- you know magical and how amazing and enchanting it is. So I think that's what they were trying to do. This movie feels like they had so many ideas and they just didn't know how to stuff all the ideas in there. Yeah, to, to make it more coherent, so, yeah. And uh, one one particular moment that I thought was should have had a payoff is um, right before... Peter goes to the um, he goes to the the charity banquet for Wendy. He gives uh, he gives Jack a, a pocket watch that was I don't know heirloom, a family heirloom or something. So he gives it the and has there's like this character moment between the two of them. Yeah, which later Jack destroys. Yeah, and I would have liked the scene where uh, Peter sees that it's destroyed and is really brokenhearted about it. Like that was. Like, he sees that as, like, the turning point of, like, hey, I'm failing as a father, that my son destroyed something of my, of my past, something that's, you know, uh, like, something that, that I was using to connect with him and, and, and to be a part of his life, that, you know, my son, like, destroyed this. So I was kind of hoping that that watch would kind of come back later. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't pay off. Or, like, how cool would it have been if, like, Hook, like, sent it to Peter Pan and the Lost Boys? There's like a message. Oh yeah. Like, oh, yeah. and he just see, and he, he just receives, he just receives a broken watch. Yeah. And yeah. like, and, and then that, that kind of drives him to get upset and then go have a vision. In fact, that, <laughs> you know, that could have been a scene between the banquet, or a, that could have been a scene between the dinner, uh, that dinner scene with the food fight. I and like that, how you called initially called the what was a food fight the banquet the banquet oh, yeah, <laughs> the imaginary banquet, the banquet. banquet. Uh, so it seemed between that and then we had a banquet and then when he goes in the treehouse like that's yeah. instead of him being hit in the in the head with a ball it's seeing that lock that uh, that watch broken that sends him into the treehouse and I, I think that would have been a great moment talking about this pisses me off because I want to see a remake of this film so badly, but I don't want anybody playing Hook but Dustin Hoffman, and I know that's impossible now. Um, 
But like, man, like, like, yeah, like what you're saying is, is like, how cool would it have been? Like, he has like the watch, and he, or, or he has, yeah, the pocket watch, and he's looking at it, and he's just kind of going through, and then like Tinkerbell, and then that's like when Tinkerbell, he sees Tinkerbell, full, um, uh, full size, like human sized, yeah, and it's more of the magic, and sh- and then like it's more of a vision, than anything, like what you're saying, like, and she's, and he's just like, why are you big? And he's just like, why are you seeing me big? And he's just like, I don't know what's happening. And then like him finding himself, and then she helps him become Peter Pan again because Tinkerbell is big. I just hate every single Tinker. I'm, I think we haven't gotten that part yet, and uh, we're we're already at an hour of the episode. But like, I hate every single Tinkerbell scene. Like, I I do. I really do. They all they're all bad. They're all written poorly. She's boring. Um, it's. It was fine at first, and then it just keeps going. And then when she blows up and she does the whole thing, it makes no sense. And then they don't talk about it again. And it's just like every single, like all of Tinkerbell in this film could easily have been cut out. It's funny because while, like talking about it, the, the fact that we haven't talked about it says I, I didn't think I actively disliked any of it, but I realized I don't care about any of it at yeah. all. Because it's there, it's nowhere in my notes. I, I have no <laughs> recollections of anything being like really magical about it. And then I actually watched um, the original. My daughter's a big fan of Peter Pan, and watching oh, I that, I think you say the Tinkerbell movie. <laughs> no, the Tinkerbell movie. <laughs> she likes those too. But the you know the original Tinkerbell is so pers- full of personality and spunk without ever talking. Yeah. And they Julia Roberts just talks and talks and talks and has so much less personality. Yeah. It's just. It's just yeah. It's just I realize in in retrospect, it's yeah. It just doesn't land. It just doesn't land at all. It, it's awkward. I think the you know when she initially shows up to bring Peter Banning to Neverland, I like that scene. Yeah, where that, she's yeah. in the little dollhouse. That scene was that was works. was probably the best. Yeah. But then after that, it's like they kind of didn't know what to do with her anymore. <laughs> and the funny thing, that scene was the most connected to sort of the animated Peter Pan and the story of Peter Pan. That like. Well, you know, the it, Tinkerbell yeah. in the dollhouse and, and being in the nursery and all that stuff kind of... And there, there's a lot of things with that as well. Like, there's it pays homage to the stage play where you, where the audience has to clap, so he's only starts clapping and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, 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 there, it, like I, I agree with Paul, and that's why I was saying before, it was like, at first she was fine, like, but yeah, then they just kept going, and you're just like, all right, like, she should have only been there for a couple scenes. Like, it would have been nice if she had realized Peter was different, and uh, and just kind of left him alone, or at least was just there just to hear him out. Like she didn't have to say a lot, and it didn't have to be Julia Roberts. But like, I think I think her being a full size human would have been a lot more of a of a shocking moment if it had been more about Peter becoming a you know Peter Banning becoming Peter Pan again, as opposed to a really weird, awkward, lustful like weird scene that just had no payout and it was just had it it had no explanation it was just weird i hated it like i don't know if you guys agree with it me or not like they could have made her a very useful character to even help peter but it was more of just like hey i'm here for some reason because i'm a big star (laughs) <laughs> yeah like i didn't hate it but i almost feel like it's worse that i'm apathetic i have like no feeling like i wish i was passionate enough about the hate i'm like it's just thinking about no, it yeah. like that's what you that's what you could get out of the movie you know yeah <laughs> I, 
I don't hate. We're talking it. about what could go. I, I don't hate it. It's just it's aggravating about how mediocre it is and how it almost all of it could have been cut out, and that's sad. <laughs> and yeah, I like, think the funny other the funny than thing, that first scene, yeah, totally. Yeah, it could, it could go. Go ahead, and, Paul. And the interesting thing to me is that I, I feel that Robin Williams' performance and Dustin Hoffman's performance like lives up to the nostalgia of when I was, I was a kid. I really love those performances, and it still holds up today. But I mean, when I when I saw that movie as a kid, I I, I thought Tinkerbell was all right. Watching it now, it, there's a lot of things that you can you can cut out yeah. from her performance. Um, and I kind of wish they did more with her. And, I wonder if sorry to interrupt. I wonder if kind of we talked about at the beginning. This is where she I. I feel like she was probably cast as she was on the way up. Boom, she did Pretty Woman like the year before this. Yeah. She becomes a megastar overnight. She's she's probably under contract through this movie already. Can't get out of it. Probably wants to get out of it. And then the, the compromise is to give her more when she was probably supposed to basically be that sort of conduit character to bring him into the world a little bit as opposed to – and then the – I feel like that was my guess. And then that's where they're bringing in Carrie Fisher to do the rewrites to try to make something more of this character because we now have a star. Wait, is that a it's thing, like, is that a thing uh, where Carrie Fisher was brought in? She was uh, – yeah, she was brought in to do rewrites specifically for the Tinkerbell parts. I mean, that makes sense that like, yeah, I love Carrie you know, Fisher, because when the man. movie came out, she hit it big. And, <laughs> hey, let's let's really push out our, you know, play our strong suits. Like, let's really push the fact that, hey, Julie Roberts is here and she's a star. That's just my guess and, without actual knowledge of that. But I know that Carrie Fisher was brought in late in the game to do rewrites for that character. Yeah. And can only imagine that's why, because of if you look at the where she was in her career, all of a sudden she's a huge star with Pretty uh, Woman and... So it's kind of like the same thing with Batman Forever with uh, Jim Carrey, where they did reshoots and they punched up his his uh, his character and, and gave him a lot more to do. Like I think the whole Bat Cave is was was part of the reshoots, where he's blowing it up and just being weird or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> because he he was not big at that point when they were filming. He was like almost an, an like he had done In Living Color, Once Bitten, and I think. Um, like Ace Ventura was like almost coming out when they were like it came out in the middle of when they were filming, and then he just blew the fuck up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me that that, that he would do that, you know, yeah. kind of punch apart in the same way they did with Jim, Jim Carrey. Um, so let's see. Oh, one one thing I, I wanted to mention is that uh, when they're flying to London, they're flying on Pan Am, and Pan Am actually like went bankrupt. A week before the opening book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I read that too. Totally, yeah. When I read that, I'm like, oh, that's just too funny. It's like it's a it's an omen for this poor movie that <laughs> what's going to happen. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, one thing I wanted to point out, which was kind of interesting to me, like this movie kind of reminded me, and I, I hope this is not going to open a can of worms. And I, but this movie kind of reminded me a little bit of Last Jedi where you have like a young optimistic hero that kind of grows up and becomes like a grizzled old. Um, oh no, kind of... you can't, you cannot compare the, no, I mean, the, it's just the, like, that's, like it's funny the... how like Luke's arc is a little, it's, it's a little bit like that where he comes with like a grizzled kind of, um, you know, an old Jedi that like, 
Lena looks um, I, I think yeah. you're you're reaching here, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. I, I think because, re- like, for example, like a lot of what we talked about, like you know, Luke's Luke's story is he was a farmer. Isolation. Yeah, like he, he was... he's isolating himself from everything, from the the, the from the power, from the ever the force, from all these things. Whereas Peter is just has almost it's like the wrong view of how to be successful for his family. Yeah, and how mm-hmm. to take care of his family. So it's different. Like he's not. That's that's the to me that fundamental difference. Yeah, makes Luke, the connection. Yeah, Luke realized he was dangerous, and he almost killed his nephew, and like every and he was letting everything down. So he went back to what he was before—a farmer, a person who was not really part of of a of a of a community. He in he, this scenario, yeah, that Peter would have to go to Neverland and live by himself in that yeah, tree. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. He he would he would live which like I want to see that movie. To be yeah. Honest. Oh that's my god. <laughs> Runaway Peter. Um, <laughs> I just laughed because I. I, I, oh, I they, they, they already made it. They already made it. It's boy. called. They already made it. It's called Arrow, and it lasted eight seasons. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now see, I have to watch eight seasons of something to see that story. Oh, I have kids, come on. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe I'm full of shit. I don't know. I just thought of Last Jedi for some reason. It kind I of see like it in my mind. I see it a little bit, but I, I would, I would probably. I know I'm reaching. I know it's. <laughs> I would equate him more to Han Solo than I would Luke Skywalker. Okay. Where, where, where Han is going back to smuggling and doing all these other things, and as opposed to We're being with Leia and you know and giving up on Ben. I agree. I've actually yeah, I'm with you there, Tyler, because it's like you know he that moment where where uh, Wendy's like oh, Peter, you're a pirate when she realizes what he does. It's kind of like Han Solo, you're literally a space pirate. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we should probably call it call it an episode soon. So, anything else, Paul? Oh, um, so, oh, uh, there's a, there's a funny, like, there's a reference to Good Morning Vietnam in there. Is it where, really? Where uh, Smee's like, Good Morning Neverland! Oh! Which uh, kind of cracked me up. And then, uh, I remember Toodles at the end when he, um, like, he has some, he opens up his bag of marbles and yeah. he starts flying away. And he says, uh, I think he says Carpe Diem, or he says, like, something that, oh, uh, uh, something to that effect, and that was like a reference to uh, Dead Poet Society, oh. which we did, uh, like a year before. Um, and I, I, you know, the funny thing about this movie is like it, there's so many different ideas, and I feel like yeah, like the editing is could have been pared down a little bit to kind of uh, make the make the ideas that that were there yeah. kind of shine more. Um, so one thing that always kind of bugged me is the way it ends. It feels like, I mean, I like the whole idea of a, a battle between the pirates and the lost boys. Um, and you know, it sucks that Rufio dies. And yeah. like, but yeah, I thought just, well, that, that was where that moment in that battle. It's like this childish battle suddenly becomes very grown up. That was how that felt. Uh, yeah, watching it like as a kid, as a, like, oh, it's this is a real fight. Yeah, and it really kind of changed the tone. Of I guess film. a little too much. Yeah, it made it a little too serious all of a sudden that like Rufio died when really it would have been better if he survived and then yeah, and, and, and he's hurt. Peter like, passed the torch to Rufio. Yeah, but 
you know, he, he took over leadership, but he's willing to relinquish it. I cannot believe so, they killed him off. Like, I, I, I agree with you just watching it. I was just like, I... This still makes no sense. Like, totally yeah. and everything. <laughs> hey, I mentioned in the beginning, that toy is the one toy that I kept. Like, from a... You think someone in the marketing department would be like, no, don't kill Rufio. He's he's the one who we're going to have be in the cartoon, The Lost Boys, that's going to come out on Saturday mornings after this. Like, which, I wish that happened. Where was that in 1991? I want to... Well, he's dead. Um, I think... <laughs> <laughs> but it's Neverland. Uh... <laughs> But I think that I'll say this: the 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 death of of Rufio is one of the moments that makes me. The, there's the, the the discussion we haven't had is: is this real? Is this in Peter's head? Which is part of what the movie at least wants you to sort of debate, particularly at the end, where you where Peter's on the outside in the snow and he kind of comes to and he was he out looking for the kids in really in Neverland or was he just in the city? And there's a guy sweeping the floor and it turns out it's uh, Smee. And then um, he looks over to the fountain. It's, it's a really cool shot where Tinkerbell is talking to him and she's glowing and the sun starts to come up behind her and he's c- kind of covering his eyes. And then as the sun comes up, she disappears. So that question, wait, was she ever really there at all? Did any of this actually happen? Was it him going through this you know, mentally, emotionally catharsis because I, he needed to? Yes, Whether think- or not he, that kind of moment, the movie wants you to question those things it really sort of hammers it all home at the end but i feel like rufio in the death of rufio is one of the moments before that that hints at that very much where the adult world is very real here so therefore this place can't exist that makes sense i I think it does exist because wendy knows about it toodles knows about it um and uh you know and then peter they all have the same memories so i think so that's just me the delusional old people. <laughs> I mean, I do think it, my what? personal take is that that world really does exist within the world of that movie. I personally believe that. Um, but I think the movie. Well, then the movie, the, the movie I thought, also I thought those, the kid said something at the end of the movie. Didn't the kid say something too? Well, I mean, Toodles does fly at the very yeah. end of the movie. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I guess point we, we would know if the kids said something. I, I think the point, what you're also seeing is maybe that's the disconnect in why Spielberg doesn't like this movie. Like, maybe he wasn't sure. Is this totally in reality or is this in Peter's head? Like, he didn't have that totally figured out, maybe. Yeah. And those are the, that's where some of that dissonance within the film itself comes from. All I know, all I know was one thing that's real about this movie is that my fear of alligators quadrupled after seeing this when I was a kid. <laughs> my fear of being stabbed by a pirate went through the roof because you know, i was all rufio i was team rufio yeah let me tell you that what were we saying paul i mean i think in my opinion i think it is real um and i i kind of interpreted smee being there in a different way and that you know at the, at the very last time you see smee right before right, right, he's right, running when, away yeah he's running away he's running away he's getting the jewels or whatever oh. and he's running away and I kind of got the interpretation that he ran away to the real world. world. Yeah, and that's the way I, I interpreted it. I didn't even. Uh, yes, I agree. I think that's what it is, and that's why we only it, see him. We don't see anybody else. That makes yeah, so much more sense. And he's like, kind of giving a knowing wink, like, "Hey, I know you're Peter Pan, but I'm gonna sweep this road, you know, like dirt." 
I mean, love it. I didn't even realize. <laughs> See, the only thing I I I, I'm, I think I'm with you, but the only thing that upsets me that means Rufio is dead for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't want Rufio to be dead. Good. I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm joking. <laughs> Um, he comes so, back. Yeah, he mean, comes back as Zuko, and then he uh, he attacks the the uh, the water the water tribe. Oh, Dante Bosco, man! I I love Avatar so much. Good. Such a, I'm glad. Yeah. Oh, it's such a great <laughs> show. And you know, I'm you know I'm thankful that this movie allowed him, like, gave him the exposure so that he could do Avatar. Yeah. In the future, like, I'm I'm, I'm so that's rough, buddy. So one one thing one uh, thing also I just want one more thing I want to mention is the the crocodile uh, looks super fake yeah and doesn't <laughs> look real at all and and then when it falls and like when it falls on Hook it somehow swallows him even though it's like dead and looks mummified and I'm like I was just always so confused by that like is because the thing didn't move at all it was in the tower and there's a clock on it it never moved. And then all of a sudden it's alive and it swallows up Hook. I, I think when I, mean, I when I was a kid, I equated it to the tongue swooped him up. But like, yeah, like it it is absolute shit. Like how gorgeous that movie looks. That was the laziest, worst death of all time. <laughs> yeah, and there was no animatronics or anything like that. The guy so, who the guy who made Jaws can't even have an alligator just bite. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. lesson should have been: don't show the alligator. Yeah, the less I mean, you see of the alligator, the better. <laughs> and when they they had him uh, burp or something to show that he swallowed him. Yeah, I think that's again the dissonance in this movie is it's a kids movie that's also an adult movie. So that's why you have a lot of those things because when that thing falls on and then burps, that's a gag for kids. Yeah, that's really what I think that is. So then, but there's a little bit of a disconnect because then right before that, Rufio gets stabbed to death by that guy so it's that's where it's it you know it's it's a grown-up thing we gotta and it's a teach kids the thing. kids about death i'm just kidding <laughs> so that's how i learned <laughs> so um the last thing i want to kind of point out is i have a couple questions for you guys and um how do you think this movie would have been different if this were made today um i think the studio would have been a lot more careful with it especially after <laughs> Uh, like if they if it were to come out this year, they would be so much more careful with it. Um, and I was gonna bring this up after the atrocity of um, what was a pan. Uh, so I think that they would have been a lot more careful with the director, the story, and everything. Um, I don't think Rufio would have died because of marketing. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I honestly, and I I've said this before, not on this podcast, but like we've talked about this before in GGG. Hook is one of the movies I want to be remade so badly because I think it could, I think somebody could fix it. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's uh, how about you, Josiah? I don't know. I just feel like leave well enough alone. It is what it is, and it's it's and there's enough magic in this movie that I don't want it to be. You could you could make a movie that's a Peter Pan movie that's a bit Hook centric. I would like to see that, and that's what I think could work. It's maybe a slightly different take. It's less about Peter Pan dealing with growing up and being an adult. Maybe that's there, but I, I would want a, something more Hook-centric. 
almost the movie from Hook's perspective or the Peter Pan story itself from Hook's perspective. That I mean, would be more interesting to me. I mean, I guess we got that with Pan and that movie. Su- I, have, I don't know if you guys have seen Pan. I, I have. haven't seen it, but I have. I, I, I guess, and it, and it yeah. all focuses on uh, Blackbeard. It focuses. I mean, Hugh Jackman is the main character in that film and it is a, an atrocious film. It is literally one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, I really think we should do it. I, I really think we should do it on this podcast. Um, Pan, Pan is the one of the most disgusting pieces of things I've ever seen. It is a gorgeous film. The CG is amazing. The soundtrack is fine. Uh, I believe it's Howard Shore. Uh, I'm going to make sure on that real quick. Um, and um, but Don't this like, smells like Teen Spirit? Or something. Uh, yeah. Movie. Yeah. It is so weird. <laughs> uh, John Powell. I'm so sorry. John Powell did the uh, who also did How to Train Your Dragon, the Kung Fu Panda stuff with uh, with uh, Hans Zimmer. Uh, John Powell has done some amazing, uh, some of my f- absolute favorite um, uh, uh, soundtracks for film. So, yeah, you know, like the How to Train Your Dragon and Kung Fu Panda are two of my favorite soundtracks of all time, um, especially Kung Fu Panda two. So. The music's fine. the 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 graphics, the CG is phenomenal. But man, Hugh Jackman's terrible. The script is god awful, and the fact that they have like rock songs in the movie makes zero sense whatsoever. And um, yeah, and it's also offensive, especially to um, it's very offensive, especially to Native Americans. Um, so. <laughs> It is. Hey, that's that's staying true to the original. Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately. yeah. That's the part where I'm watching when I watch the original Peter Pan with my daughter. I'm like, oh, uh, let's just um, let's try to distract you for two minutes. You know, it's hard stuff. I think this movie that if they made this movie today, I think they would be trying to pitch a cinematic universe. Like they'd have Toodles, a hook story. They'd have Rufio, hook story. I want the Rufio movie. I'm down for no, that. I, I actually didn't, scene. I actually well, didn't, Lost Boys prequel. I didn't know until yesterday when I was reading up on it. I didn't know that Toodles is actually one of the original Lost Boys in the book, in the original story. Toodles is one of them. I didn't know that. And in the in, in the book, Toodles ends up married to Wendy as well. So that's a little bit of a hint of that. They're just like oh. he just lives with her in this version, but they end up married. No, in, I got it that they were married. I I, no, I, had, I don't think that they were married in the movie? in the film were... version. It was I, my take that they were not married. That was my take that they were married. He was just she was just letting him be him. I don't know. Oh. I, I always got the I always got the impression that they were married. I always got the impression that she he was just one of the orphans that just didn't move out. You know how like some you know I have, I have a friend that like uh, he's like in his forties and he never moved out of his mom's house. And so I just kind of assumed it was like that, had that kind mm. of relationship. That's kind of the way I took it too. So I'm, I'm oh, okay. with Paul. But, but regardless, yeah, they're there <laughs> together. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one thing I want to address is that with as kids we like look back on this movie, uh, you know, with rose tinted glasses. Like it's we're very nostalgic for it. Do you think a kid nowadays that were to watch this? Would they be as nostalgic about this movie as we were? You mean if they watch it today and then they went back and watched it twenty years later from now? Uh, yes, correct. I don't think so because I think we've. Enge- I think that they have engineered uh, kids' movies 
um, a lot better. And I think kids nowadays have been, uh, with all the stuff nowadays, I think they understand um, good storytelling, to be honest. Um, mm. I, I, I honestly, if you watch, uh, I mean, Adventure Time is a very phenomenal story, and I love it. It's one of my favorite world, bin, uh, world uh, building um, shows. Uh, even though the last couple seasons are not so great because Pendleton War is not part of it. But, like, there's a lot of darkness in that show that, ki- that kids got, too, especially Ice King. Like, like once they started diving into Ice King's backstory, I, even, I just remember just, just, like, kids being, like, really sympathetic and really sad. And, like, as, of I, as was I when I was watching it, too, I was like, I just remember this one episode, in which I, I know I've talked about this several times. Like, there's an episode in Adventure Time where it's a musical episode and it's, these shows are these, these are only 15 12 to 15 minutes um you know episodes and um my study group and I almost were all in tears because of this this episode just became really sad and it started opening up about Ice King's uh backstory and like and then there were just all these other articles talking about and I, and, you know and kids and kids being like you know that was the saddest story of all time but you had to think about it we're like this one so I feel like now like you also like like also like Avatar: Last Airbender in the mid two thousands, and then now you have other. Um, I mean, there are so many so many movies and TV shows for kids that are very sad, and there's a lot of funny ones as well. But there's a lot of them, a lot of them that kind of go with all emotions. Like, um, I mean, with the movies, I would say How to Train Your Dragon films are all deal with very very dark things. Like, you know. Um, the first one is, you know, trying to be good enough to be a parent and also trying to show that, you know, the way a community thinks is wrong. Second episode is about finding yourself and finding, you know, and finding, um, you know, people from your past, like your mother, and then also losing, you know, but in doing so, losing people who you have now is, you know, I'm not going to spoil that one. And then the third movie is all about letting go. Like, three really dark things for and these are movie these movies are made for kids in mind and kids are getting it i remember being at uh i went to see how to train Your dragon three um you know i saw it, uh, first on a, on a date and then the second time i saw it, i saw it with a friend with kids and all the kids were crying and like and we're understanding what and we're realizing <clears throat> what they were watching with this so i think when this movie is now told now all of our gripes and stuff i really think that the kids would pick up on it as well and they would not like this film i want to say also though paul and i were right at the target age for this movie this came out in 91 i'm i was born in 1982 paul you were born 81 81 uh-huh. so like we were like the perfect window of age for this and i think when that time was the time where kids were always ready for somewhat sophisticated content that still appeals to the kids still has fart jokes in it with you know the the dinner sequence and the 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 burp when the alligator falls on hook still has those things in it still has excitement and action but has a little bit of depth to it this movie for example when we were nine ten years old right and um at that time though this is also the late 80s early 90s was really the transition period for that kind of content you look at exo squad which Paul knows that is one of my all-time favorite cartoons, really sophisticated. Even the X-Men animated series, Batman the animated series, those things that came out at that time really took it to the next level. And it was kind of – that stuff was kind of teased here and there, but it wasn't G.I. Joe anymore where bad guys laser fight and it gets solved. It kind of – the sophistication jumped a lot. So I think it slowly happened. I agree that the – so – 
that's where it's weird because I I agree to a certain extent that things got darker in the '90s, but it got darker and then it let up. Um, Batman the Animated Series, as much as I love it, it's actually not my favorite animated series of Batman. Um, but I think I think it is great. I think it is an achievement. I think it is absolutely one of the coolest, best. Uh, interpretations of Batman, but the thing is that every single episode still had a beginning, middle, and end, and no con- no, no um, continuity, no character growth whatsoever at all with anybody. Everybody's the same. The ne- you know, it's a it's a whole fresh start. The next episode and the monster well, of the week. But, but, but what we're talking about though is, to be fair, it's the transition between that type of storytelling because that was cartoons through the eighties. What you're talking about, yeah. Batman. Batman was the one that was on the fence between both where it was sophisticated, especially with the depiction of the villains, like the two face episode, Mr. Freeze. Those are some really powerful things. Poison Ivy. They really, the villains in particular, maybe you didn't get change over the course of the series. Unfortunately, like you did in like exo squad X-Men, some of these other things, but you had, it was different. You know, it was a very, it was a, it was a game changer in that regard. And then I can't speak to what came a little bit after that. Cause you know, by the time, Three years out, I'm now a teenager. I'm too cool for that. I might still be no, watching see, the stuff I did, I but always, I'm not consuming I always the watch, new content. Yeah, and I like always watch cartoons, and I think that's why. Like I've watched the progression of storytelling, and like I feel like the '90s cartoons are fine. They were great for us because, like, kind of what you were saying, it was a it was a right direction for things to get darker and for kids to really see something different. And Hook also did the same thing with Rufio dying, like. We were. It was more showing of like, okay, how edgy can we get, as opposed to how can like like it wasn't about having something that would um, really bring out a lot of emotions. It was more like, hey, can we have a fart over here, and then this kid die over here, and then a burp over here? <laughs> Perfect, good. That's it. Like that's what it was before. Where now, I, I and as, as I've watched, you know with everything like even if you watch like Ben 10 and a few other things as well like like there's a lot of things in like storytelling I mean even Teen Titans Go will get dark it's weird but like and kids pick up on it I mean it, and like I said I think Adventure Time is is probably the perfect example of something that can go really funny and random and then really dark and really demented but also like putting on this whole other like uh and but putting on this whole coat uh you know this whole physical coat but kids see the emotion but kids read the emotional parts of it like it might be all colorful colorful and ra- and like and everybody's happy but like even kids are being like they're happy but they're not real like there's a whole episode i won't even get to like in season 4 i believe where it's like everything on screen looks like that everybody's happy but internally they're all like really really broken and but I mean and but kids still pick up on it like like crazy where they we would not we would not have done that in the nineties because we're, we just thing, weren't used to it we were used to like one thing in the brain and one um, thing I think comparison wise that we're doing that's maybe a little bit unfair is we're comparing comparing the evolution of television cartoons to film right yeah that's true and I feel like cinema for kids was definitely more sophisticated at this point we've watched the Dark Crystal which was meant to be a children's movie that's heavy and dark. Things the, the rules were a little bit different in cinema. The movies were definitely darker. As a kid in the '80s, uh, the Never Ending Story, for example, really that's a kids' movie, really heavy and intense God, and dark. I hate and those movies. About the, but <laughs> I, I saw that movie in the movie theater. Yeah, you know, like it's 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 so imagine being I was 
four or five years old, and I remember seeing that movie and the power of that on me. And just the but the, what you're whether you like the movie or not, what you think of the movie, the, the sophistication of storytelling was more so than what you would ever see in a cartoon. Even when you talk about the Transformers movie, that what they did there versus what they were doing on the cartoon, right, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Optimus Prime dies. I like, know. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> five-year-old me saw that movie in the theater and cried my eyes out <laughs> yeah no i mean i understand i mean i i i agree slash disagree like i actually not think to dis- not to dislike what you're saying but no, i just no, no, feel oh, like i know like the, the progression is different and that's, that's all why, i'm trying to and, and that's why i can't wait for us to do the kung fu panda trilogy because i still think <laughs> that is, that is my favorite trilogy of cinema and i th- i still think that that lord shen is probably the most evil kids villain of all time he's so messed up and crazy but anyways um and dustin hoffman right is I, I yep. dustin hoffman yep. in that too so we have hoffman. our connection back to hook right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i see i see hook is like a transitional film yeah where they're kind of dabbling in adult themes and you know i think i i see it as a movie that laid the groundwork for you know kung fu panda avatar the last airbender uh, Pixar, like a lot of these things that, or and How to Change a Dragon, like a lot of these movies that had are geared towards kids that, but have more emotional weight towards yeah. them. And so, I, like Dark Crystal, also, that you kind of see that they were, like, I see them as transitional films, and and to where they were kind of trusting kids with with more adult themes and more, um, you know, moving away from commercial properties like you know gi joe or transformers and more into personal films that comment about you know uh life and adulthood and growing up and yeah you know different emotional things that that uh we as adults you know deal with every day and so i don't know i look i look back at this movie uh, very fondly even though there i see all the you know all the problems that it has yeah wise story-wise I really have a fondness for it. And, and I mean, I appreciate that it's something that, you know, I was nostalgic about, but still in a way holds up. Yeah. Given that my tastes have changed as, a, as an adult and I could like look at it at a very different perspective as an adult than I did as, as a kid watching it. Yeah. So if, if this was, were to be remade today, who would you cast as Captain Hook and who would you cast as Rob, as uh, Peter Banning? Peter Banning, I probably would do somebody, maybe like a Chris Pratt. Wow. Chris Pratt, maybe. Okay. Um, that'd be kind of interesting, because, I mean, he could play, uh, yeah, I could kind of see him play, like, kind of like a goofy sort of character, like like Peter Pan. He kind of, I mean, he's perfected playing a man-child. That's his yeah. career, right? Yeah. So I, I think I, I kind of like that for that regard. Yeah. And then as far as Hook, um... Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. So, what I'm, I mean, oh, I'm just going for the obvious again? because of Guardians yeah, 2 here. Two. <laughs> but it would probably work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, it's kind of a tough one. So I, uh, I, I have two. Do you want me to tell you mine? Oh, yeah, yeah. So sure. I would want Chris Pine as um, as Peter Banning. Oh, wow. okay. And then I and then I would cast uh, David Thwillis as, uh, as Hook. He's uh, uh, he's um, he was Ares in Wonder Woman. He was also uh, Lupin in the Harry Potter in films. Harry Potter, yeah. 
yeah. he he's uh absolute he's an absolute phenomenal actor. I, I, I like him. I like him, but I, I if you're selling the movie, he's not getting the part. <laughs> you I know mean, what I mean? Like, I mean, you want to you want two names you can put above that marquee. I think he's big. I mean, it would either be him or like. The Ray fact F- that Paul had to ask who he was tells you all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, like, but, I love him. Well, I know. I mean, you have the Harry Potter fan. You have the Harry Potter fans with him. I mean, I would also put maybe Tom Hardy too. I'm, I'm all. I'm all about the name. I just want the name. Give me the no. big name. Well, then I would put. <laughs> I'm just I mean, kidding. I'm no, kidding. No, no, I'm kidding. I, I'm kidding. I, I, I would do David <laughs> Thrillis or uh, Tom Hardy. I think Tom Hardy would do awesome. Because he's he is goofy. I mean, if you've seen Venom, he's, he can do goofy. Yeah. How about you, Josiah? What, what would you? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not a fan of hypothetical castings. I don't know. I know that sounds silly. I just don't care. Mm. <laughs> I like. I like to debate it when you guys have answers, but I don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't. I don't think because I guess I don't think about that way. I, I just think like more. Mm. Maybe if as a writer, maybe if I thought more about the character first. Yeah. In, in, and kind of formulated that, then I would be willing to make that leap. And I used to work um, in development where I would help come up with lists like this. And it was literally when we would do it, you would just name every possible name that you could name. And you would just go down that list until someone was interested in it, you yeah. know, for these kind of things. Like, okay, you want to read for this? Or if, if, if they're big enough, they don't have to audition, obviously. Yeah. But you know, are you interested? And you go through the line. The, the the one name I'm coming up in mind is maybe because he was originally going to possibly be, uh, he was one of the people that was tossed around as Peter Pan or Peter Banning was uh, Tom Hanks. So I would just kind of like to see since he's older on the other side, mm. he could play that, that part because he couldn't possibly play the Peter Pan part anymore. So that's kind of the one that I come to mind now that I'm thinking about it after my dodging the question, essentially. <laughs> Hmm. So now that I'm thinking about it, I actually have two, two, two choices. So I'm going to stick with Peter Pan. Um, Chris Pat is Peter Pan. Okay. I think that would be a great choice. As far as Hook, on a purely self-indulgent note, Bruce Campbell. Oh, God. He would be so Hook. much fun. He would be and so good. I think just like, and yeah, just let him go buck wild. Just like let him do his thing. Full like Evil Dead Two, Bruce Campbell would be a great Captain Hook, um, and then either him, um, oh fuck, who's who's my <laughs> other guy? Ah, oh. okay. If they do Bruce Campbell, I would want Tan- Ted Raimi as a Smee. <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> we know who's directing it now. I think we we've, we've narrowed on who's directing it. If I, I wouldn't. And be, if that's the case, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be a. I wouldn't Toby be a. McGuire, I wouldn't be a fan of it. This road, Toby McGuire as yeah. Peter Banning. Doesn't Toby McGuire have a bad back? Isn't that why he quit acting? It could be his comeback vehicle. But my my thought was actually for this. It would be interesting for that role i don't know who it would be necessarily but like kind of an actor in that place like where robert downey jr was when he got cast as iron man kind of like a little bit of a risk that could kind of use it like somebody that was was somebody we knew and maybe a former star who's kind of fallen off a little bit that could use that shine and and obviously oh why the fuck are we talking about jim carrey then because that's that is jim carrey especially right now there you Oh yes, that's actually great. Jim Carrey <laughs> would would be amazing in this film. 
he especially doing it now after doing like yeah, I, I mean yeah the, that'd be an interesting choice having like, it uh Jim Carrey and oh man oh I remember my other guy my other guy was Brian Cranston I think that would be an interesting choice yeah he he's really big on comedy <gasps> okay actually another one because uh, uh, he's oh. one who can do the comedy but also be scary John like, Ham too <laughs> very much John Ham too. Ooh, yeah, John Hamm. You know, I kind of see John Hamm as Smee, honestly. Yeah, he's so silly. I love John Hamm. That guy's amazing. We should probably end this episode. We're almost at a, an hour and 40 minutes. Is there anything? Oh, okay. That's my fault for moderating. Kinda it's got all good. Lost track of myself. But yeah, final thoughts on Hook. Um, still, still I will enjoy it. I, I like it. Um, I don't want to watch it very often. Maybe once every five, six years. Um, I really do want to remake, though. I really do want to see somebody get this and really do make a very good, compelling film about you know this fantasy world that everybody everybody knows about Netherland, Neverland. Everybody knows about Peter Pan still today, and I would really like it to see. Hook a, a hook centered film where he you know and like and seeing the story again like and having like an old Peter come back tale and like just have it be good and like you know having a Tinker Bell that's not bad um <laughs> yeah so yeah is I I still like it I I think I'll be interested to watch it a few more years down the line when my girls are a little bit older to see how they can relate to it when they're the right age because they're sort of too young for it. And I think it'll be cool because Penny is big fan of Peter Pan. She loves Peter Pan, loves the movie, loves the character Peter Pan, loves she, – she, she'll um, – she loves going around singing You Can Fly or the following the leader song. So it'd be cool like to see her when she's about 10. It's like, okay, I think you can handle this version of it now. So Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and – or go final thoughts. I just have a self-indulgent request. If we could chant Rufio in the same way in the movie. Okay. Like all together. All right. If you could close out that way, that'd be amazing to me. Okay. So on three. One, two, three. Rufio! 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 I couldn't. was way off too. There's a latency issue. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, um, you know, uh, I just want to say thank you guys for joining us and, and the hook yeah. and uh, another episode down on the Pop Moses film. It, and I want to thank you, Tyler. It's almost as long Ryan. as the movie again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. We, uh, no, was, we love this movie and, and hopefully this is, you know, kind of helps you through your day. It's, it's kind of a crazy yeah. world out there. I hope every, all of you are staying safe and staying healthy. Uh, Anything you guys want to plug in before we uh, go? No, that I listen to all, to all the other GGG podcasts. Do that. Yeah. Awesome. And listen to your mother. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Wash your hands. Wear wear a mask. Alrighty. Well. Oh, did you have something else, Paul? Oh, I mean that's it. Just want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, yeah, if you haven't seen Hook already, go ahead and check it out on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Or Voodoo or whatever. I don't know how you guys saw it. I, I'm old fashioned. I saw it in the Blu-ray. Just, uh, just don't don't lose your marbles. Yeah, exactly. Don't lose your marbles. <laughs> and uh, right. 
<laughs> and thanks for listening. And you can check out all, all of our shows and offerings on the GrandGeekGathering.com, on, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher. And, of course, don't forget our YouTube where we have this show posted. We also have our Let's Plays, and we also have our new cooking show, The Grand Geek Eatery. And also don't forget that I stream on Twitch. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Use all the stuff. Please rate and review. And come and join the gathering. Please be safe. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. And GGG. <laughs> What's on the silver screen? I got some takes you wouldn't believe. Ah,